0: Now I'd like to introduce tonight's moderator, Ms. Jory Finkel. Jory Finkel is the LA correspondent for the art newspaper and a regular contributor to the New York Times culture pages. She was previously the staff art reporter at the Los Angeles Times and before that, senior editor of Art and Auction Magazine. Please give a warm welcome to Jory Finkel.
1: Happy to be here today and happy to introduce our panelists for this evening. Um, starting with, to my right, Mr. James Cuno. Um, Jim Cuno has taught at Vassar College, UCLA, Dartmouth and Harvard. He served as director of UCLA's Greenwald Center, which brought him to LA originally. Dartmouth's Hood Museum of Art, Harvard University Art Museums, the Courtauld Institute of Art in London, and the Art Institute of Chicago. And then he became president and CEO of the J. Paul Getty Trust in 2011, which brought him back. And welcome to Jim. And uh, Susan Orlean, who is the author of eight books and has been staff writer for The New Yorker since 1992, her 2011 book, Rin Tin Tin, The Life and the Legend, was a New York Times bestseller and New York Times notable book. In 1999, she published The Orchid Thief, which was made into the Oscar-winning movie adaptation. We have some movie fans too. Um, And Terry Dwyer, uh, Terence Dwyer has been president of the Sagerstrom Center for the Arts since 2006. He is the reason we are here tonight. And previously... Um, Previously, he served as managing director of Houston's Alley Theater, the La Jolla Playhouse, and the Circle Repertory Company. Um, Welcome to all the panelists. And um, I was excited to do this panel. Um, I did not come up with the topic. They came to me and said, would you like to moderate a panel on why arts matter? Um, And the question specifically is, do the arts make us better people? And I thought, that's a big topic and a juicy topic. First of all, it's the arts. It's not just visual art, which I specialize in, but we're thinking about dance and theater and music. The arts make us better people. And better is a pretty big word or concept, too. You know, better could mean wiser or smarter or more moral, more balanced happier, any number of things that we can discuss today. Um, So I thought this is a great big topic, a fun topic, Um, and I also thought it was a really relevant topic, even timely in its own way, because I've been noticing more and more studies coming out about how the arts can make us better in one way or another. Um, And these are studies that I've seen in the last couple of years I just thought I'd mention a couple by way of background before we um, dig in tonight. One that you might have heard of, it got written up in the New York Times a few months ago, um, is the Crystal Bridges study, where the Crystal Bridges Museum of Art in Arkansas, um, it's in Northwest Arkansas, I believe, and was founded with Walmart money. When they opened in 2011, they realized that there was such great demand for field trips to the museum, because Northwest Arkansas isn't a place filled with art museums, Um, there, there were so many school groups wanting a field trip to the museum that they realized they had an opportunity to do a kind of experiment or study. That they could look, they could offer field trips to groups, kind of by lottery, and then the groups that don't get the field trip quite yet could serve as control groups, so they could actually look at the effect of field trips to an American art Museum on these students. And the results uh, you know this is just one of the biggest studies we've ever seen in this area. Le- uh, something like 11,000 students were involved in the study, or 11,000 students took the field trip, I should say, so even more involved. Um, and they f- they came up with some interesting results. Um, They noticed that the students who were on the field trips had great retention of the facts they learned that day. They noticed that those students had, were demonstrating greater critical thinking skills in writing about art that they had never seen before and never seen that day. Um, And they noticed that those students were showing greater empathy in the tests that social scientists use to measure things like that. Um, And so that was one recent study that showed in some ways, or suggested, the ways in which art might in fact make us better people. Uh, One other study that I'll mention really briefly was an NEA, National Endowment for the Arts, study or meta-study that came out a year before that, so 2012, I think, uh, which found that at-risk youth who were involved in the arts as teenagers, and they defined arts as music, dance, theater, or visual arts, at-risk youth involved in the arts as teenagers were more likely to graduate high school, matriculate at college, and graduate college than their counterparts that weren't involved in the arts. So those are just a few things to think about as we start this panel. Um, You know, because this topic is so big and so rich, and really goes back you know, to the time of the Greek philosophers and what is the value of art. Um, so I thought I would start, not so philosophically and not so theoretically, but on a more personal front by asking our panelists to think about themselves for a second and to answer the question in one way or another, do you think that art the arts, has made you a better person? And if so, how? who
2: hmm. are you asking?
1: No. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they did not know this question was coming, so yeah. give them a second to, to think about it. But I just, you know, I thought it would be a nice way to get to know our panelists a little better, too. You know, do you think the arts have made you a better person, and if so, how?
3: Well, I'll jump in. I think uh, I certainly have had experiences with great performance that I felt like there's been moments of reflection and learning, learning more about other cultures and other situations that were unfamiliar to me, but I think what, uh, what made me a better person, if anything, did was really the artists and the people I got to work with when I lived a life in the arts. I, I was around people of great vision and uh, inspiration, and uh, and, and certainly tolerance, and, I, and that and that inspired me to uh, move forward in my career in a certain way. So I'd say yes, it was both the art and the experience of experiencing the art with sim, um, similar and inspiring people.
4: Uh, I'm still waiting to find out. <laughs> but I, I think um, my sense of the arts is, any experience of life less ordinary. So I'm being very broad in, in my definition of it. Any, any experience that makes the person experiencing whatever that is stop and think for a moment differently about life and about the possibilities that, that life might, might include. And in that sense, I think, for me, as a writer, much of the art that has influenced me the most has been (laughs) literature. Having read, at a fairly early age, um, fiction that, to me, transported me into lives that I could never, ever experience on my own, and finding a capacity to feel great connection and empathy for people who are entirely unlike me, I do think it made me a better person. I, I feel it made me step out of the, the, the kind of um, very limited world that we live in in our own heads and imagine that there are people with very different lives than mine and they're both fascinating and strange because they're so unlike my own life but that actually there's a great deal that I can connect with and understand so i think it was the first experience i ever had of empathy of you know reading faulkner in high school and feeling tremendous connection to a a, a you know mentally disabled Boy suffering, you know, the experience of his family kind of collapsing and feeling that I was living in his world with him. There's no way you could do that without the, the transformative power of art. And I think I would be a, a very selfish, narcissistic person if I didn't somehow learn what it felt like to be in another person's life.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that to the extent to which I am a good person, I have uh, <laughs> my uh, family to thank, and uh, that includes my current family—that is, my wife and children. Um, um, but I do—it rec- I, I, did uh, the arts did something very important to my life, and that is that they gave it, gave it a purpose, um, that which is to say that I didn't know for a long time what it was I wanted to do, and I fell upon the chance, the opportunity of acting uh, in a you know simple. Uh, theatrical situation, and it just triggered something. There was some dimension to it that was meaningful. And I think probably if if it hadn't been the arts, and if I'd been otherwise inclined, it could have been you know, the biological sciences, or it could have been um, a law practice, or it could have been janitorial services, or it could have been whatever it might have been, but something worked, something fit. So after many, many years of uh, stumbling along, I found something that just seemed to make sense, something that just seemed to fit, and it provided purpose. Subsequently, the purpose um, manifests itself in a series of extremely interesting opportunities that took us and me—that's my family, myself—around uh, the world and to different places and to meet different people. So, uh, in a very s- simple sense, it was just something worked. Something what didn't didn't change my life uh, in a kind of spiritual dimension, as it just provided focus for it and anchored me in the world.
1: Um, I want to pick up on something Susan said about empathy. Um, the one study that I had in my mind that I didn't mention because I wanted to um, make make space for them all to talk um, is a study done of literary fiction that um, also got a lot of attention. The New School for Social Research had a couple uh, researchers look at people reading different kinds of texts. And I think there were four different uh, choices or four different groups. One group, they didn't read anything. One group, they read nonfiction. Um, the third group, they read fiction of a kind of commercial or popular sort. They called it genre fiction, like Daniel Steele romance novels, something like that. Maybe horror novels as well. And then the fourth, they read literary fiction. And the researchers said they were surprised when they started administering these empathy tests to find increased empathy scores After the group, uh, in the group that had read the literary fiction. And I kind of wanted to um, ask you about this anecdotally, uh, personally, whether you think that um, there are particular kinds of artworks or particular kinds of literary works that lead to more empathy or kind of instill or cultivate more empathy in us than others. I
4: I couldn't, uh, I I just want to add one thing because it was the funniest thing I read in a while um, and it was in today's New York Times uh, in which a, a study had been done and family therapists were realizing that couples who, who, particularly couples who were resistant to being in therapy, if they watched a romantic movie together Mm -hmm. and talked about it, it actually had as much value to them (laughs) as going to therapy. And I thought, oh my God, this is like, you can do it at home. This is amazing. Um, But I think what was interesting is this point that... um, you know, it it the great challenge of being human is getting out of your own head and imagining anything other than the world as you see it through your own eyes. So, I you know, while you may say that listening to really schlocky pop music or watching bad TV, you know that how could that make you a better person? I tend to be a pretty broad stroke kind of appreciator of other people's work. And I think that, yes, I do believe that reading Faulkner might be a higher calling than watching Real Housewives. <laughs> and I'm not sure anybody would call Real Housewives art, but if you're talking about the television arts, you know, I, I think the big challenge is imagining a life out of your own familiar experience, and in that sense, I, I think yes. Well, they found that literary fiction seemed to have a greater effect on people than reading, you know, James Patterson crime novels. I I do think that you wherever you find that portal into another world is of value.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to put too much burden on on the arts, um, but uh, you know, I think it's, it sort of reminds me of the studies they make of you know, university professors and why it is they turn out to be more liberal than an other category of of, of workers somewhere, and it and it's is it because of the job they do that makes it, or is it because of the people they are that they do that job? In other words, are they liberal inclined and therefore they find their way to teach because they happen to be liberal, not because teaching itself makes them liberal. And I, and I think that, that sort of, it might be the case that people who are more empathetic end up uh, in the arts, but not because the arts make them empathetic, but because the arts are attracted to them because they are empathetic, because there's something that, that triggers that empathy that allows them to ch- channel that empathy after all it's one 's usually em- empathetic now not in real life situations but in artificial situations There's are situations that have been manufactured by poets or by playwrights or not novelists or composers or, or visual artists or whatever that is it 's different than if you 're in a tra- you know, a, tra- a trauma um, um, uh, s- section of a hospital where the, you know you, empathy would, might be triggered by something that is just completely out of your means of control uh, so it 's a safer Set, you know, setting for that kind of empathy, but I tend, I tend to think that it's probably the case that people who people who come to the arts come to the arts with empathy. It's not necessarily that. Now, it might be that the arts you know, provide them access to its experience on a more frequent basis, but uh, I don't know that the arts themselves can I mean, I just don't want to burden the arts. There's a big, big responsibility the arts would then have to be held accountable to the Quotient of empathy that we have in the in the
4: world.
3: I think it is uh, it is not solely the responsibility of the artist or the artwork to turn someone into a better person. It is it is what the person brings to the experience and the viewing or the attendance or whatever. But I, I am also a little uncomfortable with this idea of just turning someone into a better person. I mean, you you hopefully with that moment, the opportunity for reflection and, and, and uh, t- improvement in empathy and, and uh, tolerance and the like, you, 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 you contribute, an artist or an artwork or an attendance experience contributes to a richer life. Uh, but sometimes it may be taking someone through a, a terrible experience or, or, or helping them ease the pain of something that they've, they've experienced in their lives or something tragic has happened on stage. So it's... it's it's uh, it's it's helping us, you know, it's, it's related to empathy, but helping us learn to understand people better and helping uh, to learn somehow to live with them better. Does that make me a better person? Uh, maybe, maybe not. But at least it, it gives me a richer life, and hopefully some of the artwork has contributed to that. But it doesn't. It does. It is impacted a lot by what the person brings to the experience.
4: Yeah. Can I? Um... I'd like to share an embarrassing experience, if I may, just between us. Um, embarrassing but to you. It, embarrassing. embarrassing to me. But <laughs> I think it's an actually, um, and until this moment, it hadn't occurred to me that this was a, a case for the arts having this a very important effect, Um, and better is such a tough word that I I kind of hesitate to say this made me better. But a couple of years ago, there was an Iranian film called A Separation. And I had heard it was really good, and I thought, you know, I, I would say for the last... 20, 30 years, an American experience of Iran is a very negative one and a very limited version of this culture and you know, a lot of hostility and everything that made me think, I don't want to see an Iranian movie. And I also thought it'll be, I don't know, somehow very simplistic. And I, I have no idea where I came up with that idea. Finally, I thought, all right, I'm going to see this movie because everybody keeps saying I should see it and whatever. It was on Netflix. It was low impact to see it. It is an incredible movie. It is an exquisite movie. It's really one of the best movies I've seen in years. It's complex. It's really about a marriage and families and set in a culture in which politics get mixed up with family interactions and the interaction between the husband and wife was incredibly familiar and so suddenly i was thinking iranians they're just like us and you know and i'm making fun of myself because honestly you know i'm a person who's traveled a lot i would never have if i'd heard someone else say oh my God, an Iranian film, how good could it be? I'd think, wow, what an idiot. But I was doing that same thing and thinking, I don't see how it could be interesting to me. And it just absolutely flabbergasted me on all of those levels of thinking, how could I have been so narrow-minded and so ignorant, really? And how much of this is you know the media has given us a version of Iran and that's all we know and you don't imagine people live lives there that are rich and complicated and human you begin seeing them as a a sort of stereotype to me that's a perfect example of you know the a a truly changing experience besides the fact that i love the movie coming away and thinking i I really need to kind of fact check myself when I have reactions about, particularly about cultures that, because of the American relationship to those countries, have become extremely, are, what we learn about those cultures has become very limited, just because of, you know, people don't go to Iran on vacations, and you you don't interact with that world very much. In that way, better, better is a kind of an uncomfortable word for me to use, but I would say I, I see the world in a far more inclusive way than I did before I saw that movie for that reason, that it, it was such a, a realization of what you know, and the creativity and genius of the filmmakers mm-hmm. in Iran.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I think it's it, there's two two different ways of asking a question. One is is it does the, do the arts make people better people, or does the art the arts ma- has it made me a better person? Right. So um, my father wouldn't have gone, to, probably never went to an art museum until I began working in them, and I, he wouldn't have gone otherwise. I don't think his life was perfectly. A well-lived life. And he was a happy, happy individual who, was, who found meaning in, in his life. Um, so I don't think the arts are necessary to live a life that's meaningful. However, for those of us for whom to, who are attracted to the arts, it's a vital part of what makes life meaningful and makes life better. So it can improve one's life. But it doesn't mean that it improves lives because some people find meaning elsewhere. And it's, I think, mainly happiness comes from finding purpose and meaning in life. So, wherever you find that purpose of meeting is where it's important. Um, now you're
1: not going to tell us where that is? Where to look for it?
2: Well, it's, you know, I can't remember the address in Getty Center Drive, but it's not. Nice. <laughs> it's, it's just up at the top of the hill there. Oh, yes. What's it, 1200? 1200. 1200 Getty Center Drive. I think that's very
1: funny. I was struck by something Susan said when she was describing uh, the movie. At some point, it seemed to me that there was a kind of. I don't know, implicit analogy between travel and experiencing artwork. There was, a, you know, it, it just seemed to me that you were talking about you were, you know, very well-traveled, but you hadn't experienced or hadn't opened your mind in a certain way to something. And I, I was just wondering if that's something that you have thought about or experienced yourself, the, the idea that a really rich experience with a work of art is... A, you know, journey, I guess, you know, we have some really familiar language to talk about experiencing a work of art as a journey, um, a voyage, um, a way of encountering, you know, other cultures. Um, you know, and I'm curious to what extent um, your own um, work in the arts is informed by that.
4: You know, it's interesting to me because I was on a panel some years ago about—and I'm not kidding—the the title of the panel is "Does travel make us better people?" <laughs> 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 and I—I I, I mean, what's interesting is there's a way in which art and travel and you know, arguably sports and. These are the things that could be deemed anything that could be cut out of a school budget <laughs> falls into this category. The things that we think of as non-essential to getting a job and you know somehow making our way in the world. And you, I won't say this about sports, but I I and I think that's a whole other conversation we shouldn't we can have at the next Zocalo Public Square. But um, I think that the parallel is absolutely appropriate. um, Because in each instance, it is about experiencing, in the case of art, you're experiencing another individual's vision. um, And you're traveling into that in a very real sense.
3: I don't know if this is exactly responsive, but it was a bit, of, a bit of a journey for me. I was talking to some colleagues who were trying to uh, expand the reach of their theater, and they were trying to develop audiences in certain communities that were all populated with various um, uh, uh, constituencies from Arab countries. And they were doing all the things that you traditionally do—you know, talkbacks, things like this. They were doing. Uh, um, uh, you know, Discounted tickets, that kind of thing, and no one would attend and then finally, someone said, "You know the, the attendance experience is completely different for that community their Their attendance unit is, a, is not a single ticket buyer it 's a family. family comes and experiences the arts, and they don 't necessarily come at the beginning, watch a whole thing and then leave at the end. They come when they 're ready to come and they join it in the middle or come near the end." And then, and then they leave when they're ready, and then you have to have food, because food is part of the experience. And so it was, it was, it, I felt like I had gone to that country. I certainly had my eyes open, and, and I hopefully my antenna up more for uh, uh, how I might deal with the challenge of, of, of trying to connect communities to the art. It's, uh, it, it is an interesting journey. I think that's a good analogy.
2: Yeah, I think the connection between travel and... Um, in the arts, thinking of the visual arts, and thinking of museums, for example, particularly encyclopedic museums, which are museums with representative examples of the world's diverse cultures under one roof. It's precisely that. And you actually are enacting a trip. I mean, you're actually walking from place to place, coming across strange and wonderful things and being perplexed by them and drawn to them and trying to make sense of them and record your memories of them and all of this. So it's quite like that. But it, it's a, not only a cultural, that is, a a, a, you know, a a travel across landscape, but it's a travel in time. And I think that to the extent that I'm philosophical about this, I think anything that takes oneself out of oneself um, is a good thing. Anything that, make, that reorients oneself from the center of one's universe to the side. You have to realize that there's someone else out there, that we're just one, one person in the company of billions of people uh, who lead very different lives and who don't know or think or care about us. The humility that comes with that is a good thing, because it uh, restores our, the balance of, of, uh, of the world. So I think, I think the travel is precisely that. And it's one of the great contributions that we make as we provide people safe places to travel.
4: Um, <clears throat> I want to play devil's advocate a little bit, just because one of, um, I've written, I've profiled a number of artists. Um, in my time, i not, I couldn't, claim to be a person who writes a lot about art, but coincidentally I've I've profiled some artists. And one of the most interesting of them was a gentleman by the name of Thomas Kincaid. Um, And I had, sounds like some of you know Thomas Kincaid. Um, Those of you who don't, painter of light, (laughs) ring any bells. And I had one of the most interesting conversations with him about, you know, this is a person who made very um, twee, adorable paintings of little cottages and forests, and and he made millions and millions of dollars because people love the paintings, and he's also a brilliant marketer. And we had a really interesting conversation about, because I had come to the interview with a lot of cynicism, and thinking, oh my god, I'd sooner kill myself than have a Thomas Kinkade painting in my house. (laughs) Um, And I thought, you know, I've got to figure this out, because obviously, this is a man who at one point was on the New York Stock Exchange because he was so successful. So I thought, what what's going on here? I've got to figure this out. Anyway, he and I had a really, really fascinating time together. And he was making this point that he didn't say i 'm a bad artist," but he what he said was <laughs> I mean that would have been very interesting and would have changed my story considerably, but he said to me, "You know, millions and millions of people look at my paintings and feel great joy. Why is that less valuable than the people who go see?" a shark and formaldehyde, which, of course, Damien Hirst has become the example of somebody who makes art that a lot of people go, you know, personally, I think it's really gross and weird, and I don't know why it's worth $50 million, versus a painting of a little cottage with a little bridge and a rainbow, and that a lot of people say oh, this makes me happy. This makes me feel really happy and I and I'm also gonna get the tea towels and the <laughs> and, and, and the toaster cover. And it but it, it was really interesting because he basically hoists me on my own petard saying if art makes someone feel joyful as my art clearly does, and you can check my bank account <laughs> to see that it does, isn't that by definition, isn't it art? And I know our conversation here isn't about defining art, but it is kind of interesting to say, well, you know, are we, what, do, what does it mean? What are we referring to? And I would say that I left my conversation with Thomas Kincaid actually convinced that he was right, that I didn't like his art, but that he made work that made people feel something, that made them feel some, and you might argue that they felt just something that didn't push them very hard, but they felt happiness looking at their at those paintings. And I think part of the reason that we get ever since modern art came into being, there have been harder conversations about, do the arts make us better? You go to see a Shakespeare play, and you walk out, and you say, well, yeah, I mean, of course. You see art that starts pushing into this other range, and I do think that that's why a lot of people scratch their heads and say, well, I don't get it, I don't understand why a diamond-crusted skull (laughs) makes me a better person, or should be worth lots of money, or even could be called art. So while I think it's easy for us all to say, you know, wonderful, wonderful art makes you look at the world a different way, and you're a better person. I also don't think it's so neatly defined. I think it gets complicated. And I, I think that's why these conversations exist.
3: And I think it's wonderful, wonderful art that's not defined by us what is wonderful art. It's the person who's experiencing it and the impact it has on their lives. And, and that's radically different probably for almost everybody in this room. You know, Different communities, different cultures, different things are brought to the experience. I think it's uh, Thomas Kincaid might be a little difficult, but. <laughs> But we, we, we all bring different things to that experience and different cultural traditions. And I think that radically changes the experience of the art and what one considers meaningful or, or, or important art. Is it, is it meaningful and is it relevant? Is it important to their lives? And I think that means a lot. And that's, not def, that's definitely not how we would define great art all the time. There will be lots of good disagreements.
4: I just think it, it's, to me, important to make sure that this conversation doesn't just follow this very predictable elitist art world track of saying yes we go to a museum and see great art and and we're better or we read great literature you read faulkner i mean maybe somebody reading a really trashy novel feels like oh my god this was i was transported and my feeling is that's art that's mm-hmm. that's for them that made them a better person they experienced Especially if it's like a sexy, trashy novel, (laughs) then it's... But I I just, I would want to make sure that the conversation doesn't feel like we're just sort of circling around the same very comfortable world of fine art and fine literature and... Jim?
2: Uh, Yeah, well, that seems obvious to me. So, uh, not much to add. I mean, the question I don't think is, that, that I don't think that is the question. You know, the question is, you know, not so much what falls under the umbrella of art is just what offers more acute, lasting, compelling, complicating, enriching, deepening uh, experiences of art. Now, I don't I don't want to assume that one makes any one of those makes someone a better person than another, but I do think that some is a better. Better quality, you know, deeper quality, better quality of art than another thing is. And I'm sure that you, I mean, I know that you were saying that, but I don't want to collapse Thomas Kincaid and Michelangelo in the same company. You know, I, I do want to, and I, I do want to consider Michelangelo as a, a higher breed of intelligence and craftsmanship and, and craftsman than Thomas Kincaid is. And, and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll stake my socks on my, my beautiful <laughs> socks on that, you know. Um, and, and because I, 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 I I, I, I don't want to I don't want to you know, I mean I, I want to encourage people to think that art is not is more than providing them simple access to immediate gratification that there is something else that's going to be a struggle that's going to confuse them that's going to then please them that's going to deepen their experience that they're going to be able to carry around with them for a long time and that's going to survive surpass them and in their lifetime survive beyond it um so there's a whole range of things. Now, a diamond encrusted skull is a good investment, probably, um, but uh, and it falls into the category of art because someone made it, I suppose. But you know, it, I don't think there's much complication to the Damien Hurst diamond encrusted art. So I mean, skulls. So I I'd put it in the same category as the Tom K- Thomas Kincaid. Oh. <laughs> you because know, it's got that immediate appeal and, and, and provides immediate grat- easy gratification. It's not immediate gratification.
4: Thomas Kincaid would have been happy to hear you say that, by the way. Um, but uh, I think that the point you make, which is a, a really good one, is there's, a, there's art that just confirms what you already believe, and there's art that pushes you and and makes you see something you didn't see before. Mm-hmm. And I would say that where Thomas Kincaid doesn't quite leap into the Michelangelo camp is that it, w- it was always meant just to make you feel comfortable. We and call that entertainment, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, mean, if we're making the distinction. If we don't make the distinction, it can all be art. It can be TV arts. It can be real housewives art. But if you're, if you're talking about something that comforts you, pleases you, um, gives you that kind of instant gratification. Often, we call it entertainment, mm-hmm. and not art.
2: But it gets so complicated because wasn't Shakespeare entertainment? Isn't that always the when you say entertainment, someone always points that out to you that really it was massive popular entertainment, but of the most sophisticated kind. So, I mean, you would know better than than we. But so entertainment is also a tricky, slippery. The distinction between art and entertainment It's pretty hard to, to draw. He was
3: like sitcoms of the day.
4: Mm. No. <laughs> Truly, right? Yeah. Like he was a mass
3: market playwright. Right. Yeah. It's a funny thought, isn't it?
4: Mm-hmm.
1: But thinking about mass market, I want to throw another kind of little wrench into this conversation, which is talking about the experience of art, and, and, and at various points you have all suggested that it's not just the artwork, it's what the person is willing to bring, bring to the artwork and bring to that experience and how they open themselves up to it or change because of it. Um, do you think that artwork has those powers, um, when it takes other forms, when we're not talking about an original work of art, but a reproduction, in the case of theater, a broadcast, in the case of art, a digital image? I mean, you know, we live in the age where a lot of our experiences with artwork are experiences with different kinds of different versions, JPEGs of the artwork, um, broadcasts of the art, YouTube videos uh, that show us a clip from the play. Um, How important is it, in, in your view, that we experience an original work of art, whatever that means, versus these versions that we're so used to today?
3: I think it's, it's important that we, we, uh, we learn from and, and evolve as institutions and producers or, or facilitators of art by uh, uh, not ruling out the, the new ways that the artistic experience is transmitted to audiences. I, I think that at some point in the future, we're going to have large audiences who will never attend a show in our halls. They'll, they'll, their experience with us will be online-based in some way. I think that when we work with uh, partner with non-cultural organizations out in the community, that we will have uh, uh, artists redefining what, what the creation of art is, and it will be about creating an artistic experience that has an impact on the lives of those people out in that community. So I think that we can't, we can't make a hard and fast rule as far as that goes. We have to um, uh, um, uh, continually to evolve and reimagine what it means to be artists as the communities re-evolve, we ha- as the communities themselves evolve.
4: I actually just finished uh writing a profile of two artists who whose work was um one was a YouTube channel and one was a Twitter account. And in the course of kind of diving into this world of net art, which there is no such thing as an original. It is by definition Work created on these platforms that that have infinite uh, that are infinitely reproducible, and there is no original. And it was really it was fascinating. Um, At the same time, last year I went with my son on a field trip to the Getty to see a real Van Gogh, and I thought, you know, I wonder whether it will register as meaning anything to him to really see in you know the actual physical thing and these kids were wild they were so excited seeing the paint imagining this was the real thing it was very interesting because these are you know my son is in 3rd grade he is born digital i mean this the idea of a single version of anything is not in his world. I'm not sure he even thinks he has an original edition of Parents. (laughs) I mean, it's just everything is, you know, constantly reproduced and available. So, but the effect of seeing a single painting by somebody he'd studied in school really meant something.
3: I think it is... Constantly reproducible on the internet, but it's also unlimited opportunities for creativity. It, it is you can have co-creators of of uh, serial plays. You can have lots of different things where people feel like they inter- They were they were a creator. They had an artistic experience from the creation side. I think it's 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 the new frontier in a lot of ways for the the creative act and. Arts organizations that don't pay attention to that are going to be left behind. So it's 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 not just ultimate reproducing; it's ultimate creativity. Opportunities for it.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I think that all all of that's true, um, and and I think that the extent to which one can increase access to this dimension of experience um, is all to the better. Um, that said, I I, I think. Thinking about the visual arts, because it's going to be different than the other arts, but thinking about the visual arts, because there is a stubbornly material thing there, typically, uh, is a profound experience, because it's something that one can't manipulate, one can't pinch and enlarge. That I mean, it is there on its own terms. And it's again, it's humbling to, to come to terms with that, the grips with that. There's something you can't change. It's there. You've got to come to terms with it as it is in front of you, as it really is. So I think there's a benefit to that, that so that... I don't think that'll ever go away. I think as long as one has access to that, one's going to value that. But I don't think that that's the only experience one has. I think you're absolutely right that, that um, extending access, and, and just as we were talking about travel earlier, so extending access to things one will never get to physically. You know, I may never get to Iran, but I'll have access to it by means of reproduction. Or, or, you know, or so, so I think that both are valued experiences, but I don't want to give up on the, the benefit of this. Of a, third grader coming in front of a Van Gogh and being excited because this thing had some reality to it that he didn't, that that otherwise didn't exist in his life on those terms.
1: I think we're going to open this up for questions from the audience.
3: Hi, um, my name is Christine Fleur, and I'm quite intrigued by Kickstarter. And I wondered if you could um, elaborate a little on how you feel that impacts us as becoming maybe better people or more involved when we can remotely support arts efforts
1: around the world.
3: I am not an expert in Kickstarter. but what I'm familiar with is there's opportunities for individual artists to get individual projects off the ground through the, the Kickstarter function. And I understand that and I think that's an enormously valuable thing and support of individual artists is, is pretty weak or non existent out there. So that is a is an important part of the arts landscape right now. And and I'm all for it.
4: Yeah, I think it's really exciting and I think if you can if if somebody posts a Kickstarter campaign and they will accept even a $5 contribution, the investment emotionally by somebody who thinks, "Wow, I'm helping this art get made." It's it's something we really haven't had a, an opportunity to do before and I think it's a very exciting development, and it's also actually financed a lot of projects. I have a friend who's editing a film right now that was 100% financed through Kickstarter, and it's a million little donations, and everybody involved is excited and supporting it, and what a great thing to have available to us.
3: And I think it's great that it creates a larger and broader based community of people that actually care about the arts. It's international.
2: Hello. Uh, my name is Ian Zach and Osborne. Um, one question I had for the three of you. In the beginning, you discussed uh, how literature can lead to more empathy in individuals. However, uh, thinking of certain pieces, uh, one that immediately came to mind was uh, Brett Easton Ellis's American Psycho which immediately have, as kind of their trademark, a lack of empathy. Does that also contribute, in the same sense, to make one a
0: better person?
4: I'll, I'll take that even one step further, which is one of the most uh, profound reading experiences I ever had was reading in cold blood. And talk about people without empathy. Um, you know, that's the ultimate, which is really reading a, a detailed Investigation into the minds of um, psych- sociopaths. I, I feel like it's the experience of surrendering yourself to a piece of literature is such a uh, is such a, a remarkable and profound and and really transforming experience, that the content of what you're reading, even if it's about somebody who's incredibly unattractive, it's the experience of reading it that I think is what, what changes you.
0: Ar-Gabara,
2: um I'm an artist here in Orange County. And a few years ago, we uh, did the 20 pianos here in, in the area. And we united
3: probably thousands of people traveling from city to city to see the other piano that other artists did. So the question is, is uh, why they are not doing more of these events? (laughs) (laughs) Who wants to take that? (laughs) Jim. I will say two things. One is the present. Um, We have programs that go out into communities throughout Orange County and Southern uh, Los Angeles and Riverside County and they reach over 300-some thousand young people every year, so we are making an effort. But it's, it's really not enough for the center, and in the next year or two, there's gonna be a really significant and dramatic expansion of that activity off our campus and out on our plaza. So I think you're right, we can do more, and we will. So keep your eyes open, there's news to come. What I find curious is that we've established that art does in some way contribute to society. Um, What I find interesting is how come in our society it's still undervalued? How come it's the first department to get cut from school budgets, um, even though we do know that it does make a contribution to society? So why do you think there's that connotation out there? And I have friends who are professional artists, and and it's like any any other profession you're respected, and you tell people you're an artist, and it's like, oh, what are you going to do with that? What do you do? And it's you know, not that it's any of your business, but you know, it's, I'm just curious as to why it's so undervalued in our society, and if, if you've noticed any change in that over the, over the time span. So.
2: I think there's some false assumptions about it. One is that anybody can do it, so there's no reason to invest in any particular training because it's sometimes kind of a natural phenomenon that one has or does not have. Um, so, I think there 's a basic misunderstanding about it, uh, but I think people are f- frightened about their their lives, the lives of their children and when times get tough, um, they make very difficult decisions, and those decisions may not always be the best informed decisions, but they make these decisions and they 're worried about the future of their children or their own their own future so it 's understandable in some respects it 's lamentable because it's so um, it 's in a sense you know, misguided, but, but, you know, I, I want to, I, w- I want to think that those people who are making those decisions with regard to the children, and they're making them because they think they're doing the right thing for their children, you know, and that they really, they really are wanting to invest uh, their support, emotional and, and, and financial, uh, in what they think will provide their children with the better future. That said, I, as I said, I think it's, it's a, it's a those are decisions probably made out of a sense of panic that is, ill understood, um, but. I think think it comes and goes with um, the the, the, the sort of confidence that people have. uh, Whether it's confidence um, that they, whether it's a lack of confidence because of financial situation, or because they feel there's competition from other parts of the world, or because there are strange-looking people that you know are call artists, they don't want the children to grow up to be like them, or whatever it might be. But it's it's an understandable concern I think people have for the future of their children, and they really do want to make the right decisions by them. I don't know if that answers your question, but uh, I, I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want, you know, there are people who make decisions about the arts because they don't value them. That's one thing. But there are others who are making decisions because they can't, they have to make a decision about something. They have to have some priorities because they can't do everything equally for their children and they make difficult decisions.
0: All through this program, you've all been very careful about setting the boundaries, about not being sweeping in what you were saying, and I appreciate the intellectual honesty about that. Now, But my question really goes back to a time when, at least in the Western world, we were pretty sure that the arts contributed to collective good health and better life. Thinking about the uh, classical theater period in Greece when the city, the polis, put on the three great tragic uh, tragedians and aristophanes convinced that the whole community would purge itself actually of their negative feelings of their guilt and emerge better and i'm and i'm wondering when do you guess that that kind of certainty died <laughs> <laughs>
2: I have, I have no idea. I think it's the only answer. But, but uh, you know uh, there will be, and, and my colleagues will know better than I, but uh, there, it may have transferred from a certain kind of um, um, audience based experience to a lived experience, you know, from um, an elevated performance to a publicly enacted ritualistic performance, such that through the Middle Ages, uh, there were a tremendous amount of of popular theater, ex- theatrical experiences that that formed that 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 structured one's calendar year and one's relationship to the seasons and to each other and to mystical creatures and whatever, and so it provided opportunities for people to come together and enact those community-based experiences that did draw the community together. I'm making this up as I go, but I think that's about it. <laughs> I think that's, help me out here I'm a behind I
3: I think you did a good a good job there but uh, a lot of it is also I think falls on the responsibility of some arts organizations who have not uh, evolved and and, and uh, with with the changing uh, uh, times you know communities have changed around us we're not we're not producing art and producing um, uh, in, in interactive opportunities with the community in the same way, we're doing it in many cases, we're doing it in the same way we always had and the communities we're interacting with have changed radically. We're not really keeping up with the times as far as that goes. So it's it's, um, it's a challenge. I just had a a question concerning arts versus entertainment and the bottom line. And especially when you have mediums uh, such as dance or forms of art that might uh, not be able to be self-supporting, how do you balance putting on art and non-self-supporting uh, presentations with uh, paying the bills and paying for the lights? Well, pretty much everything we do, it doesn't pay, uh, pay for itself. So, so it's really a matter of how much subsidy we provide each, each series that we do. But if it's important enough and good enough, and if we've done it in a way that's meaningful to the community, then the community will also help us accomplish it. It's not just up to us. So that's why we ask the community to help support us with contributing income as well as buying tickets. So we, we try to continue to do uh, meaningful series in the different genres that we present. And then we try to um, uh, do it in such a way that it will engage the community and encourage them or inspire them to also support us and be part of, part of the challenge of keeping those arts
0: alive a lot of times uh, people are artists tend to be narcissistic and really just wanting to be heard and seen. So I just want you to touch on that, you know, kind of the irony of of them being narcissistic or, or, you know, really just about trying to say what they're trying to say and at the same time inspiring empathy, um, you know, with others that experience their work. So the balance of that and and kind of, you know, to tag on to that, talking about this, this generation and technology, more people are being creative. A lot more narcissistic viewpoints coming out, and so so just like you know, what what we're going to see coming up. Just if you can touch on that based on your experience with past artists and what you're observing now with with the new creatives that are coming up, and especially with technology, you know, everyone can express themselves. What's the art world going to look like? What society can look like?
4: You make a really good point, which is um, not all artists are. In fact, I would say. I can say this differently, which is that i'm sure a lot of artists are people who you wouldn't want to hang out with and they're they're extremely selfish and self centered and narcissistic and often alcoholic and um, and you know that's the nature uh, i mean in certain ways, maybe that's the cost of having that kind of vision and and that ability to create something that can be transformative for other people. Um, I'm sure a lot of artists don't look at a lot of other people's art. I think they they may just work on their own art and be so consumed by producing it that they simply aren't interested. It's one of those great kind of marvels of the world that they, they create something that makes us... Different and better, but their own lives are not necessarily, um, don't necessarily reflect that capacity. Um, I think that it's interesting that technology, which everybody thinks is making all of us into ro- robots, has actually opened up the possibility for creativity for so many people. And I think it's a really exciting time. I think. There's just so much interesting stuff going on, and the tools available are are really available for everybody, which makes it exciting and experimental and there's a lot of adventurous stuff going on, whether it gets kind of processed and consumed by other people and appreciated, it sort of remains to be seen, but I think You know, what we've been talking about is consuming art, not making art, um, which is really what you're talking about, which is suddenly we're in a period now where the opportunity to make art has never been greater. What will that do to us as people to have the chance to be creative? And uh, that's almost a whole separate conversation, I think. This is more about being on the receiving end of other people's art.
2: I mean, artists, as opposed to the rest of us who work for institutions and, and are, are, are protected in the process by the fact that we work together in institutions, we're not so exposed. Whereas artists tend to be either as individual solo practitioners, whether writers or painters or sculptors or anything, uh, when they are then present, presenting their, the, the fruits of their labor, it, is, it falls to them. I mean, they, they, the, the feelings that they've touched and they are presented uh, publicly are often raw, but it's also, it's they're the ones who are going to be. Be judged by it, they, they aren't. They, they aren't. And even in the theater, in the theater, despite the fact that there is a team of people who are involved in the pr- production of a play, there is the figure on the stage. There are lots of people looking at them, ex- literally exposed in the process. So it must be a very lonely um, experience for them and a frightening experience for them. Uh, and, and so the narcissism becomes that maybe as a means of, of of sort of protecting that that exposed self. Uh, it, 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 I, I don't think that that uh, necessarily, it's a, it's, a, it's a life that one chooses to lead because, to live, because one thinks it's going to be lots of fun. I think it's where one, it's a life one chooses to lead because one has things to say.
0: Thank you so much. We'll see you at the reception.